Welcome everyone to Kingdom Rock Radio. We pray that you will enjoy today's message. Now here's a sample of what you'll be hearing today. The devil's trying his best to tempt you, to test you, to try you, to defeat you around every single corner. And he will if you do not watch and pray. You must be shaken from your slumber. Kingdom Rock Radio is an outreach ministry of Kingdom Rock Family Worship Center located right here in Bremen, Georgia. You can connect with us at our website at www.kingdomrock.org. And now, here is today's message. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for everyone. Thank you so much. For all of you that are joining us from all around the world, we thank you so much and we thank you uh, for for um, viewing, for your faithful viewing and your listening and your emails, your calls, your encouragements. We thank you so much uh, for being a kingdom nation. And we uh, celebrate you today and we thank God that you are here. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so on uh, Thursday nights, we've been in the series uh, entitled Psalm 23. We've been there for a few weeks so if you haven't heard that, please go and, and get into those messages. Uh, please don't be one of the ones that says, well, you know, I heard about Psalm 23. There's really nothing there for me to hear. God can always bring us yeah. something new. Yeah. His word is alive and Amen. is living. Amen. Amen. So there's always something new that the Father can bring out uh, in his word. So please avail yourselves to that. Uh, this morning, we want to start here in the book of Matthew, Matthew 16, Matthew 16, and we're going to just look at a few verses here. And we'll really be talking this morning, I believe, from the subject of uh, the sleeping church. The sleeping church. And we'll ask the question over and over again, who are you? Who are, who are you or who are we? Who are we? All right, but we're going to be speaking from the subject of the sleeping church. So let's go ahead and read. We're going to read Matthew 16 and um, verse 13 through 19. And it goes like this. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, it's interesting to note here, we'll stop here for a second, it's interesting to note that you know, John the Baptist has most recently been deceased. You know, they cut his head off. So they said, Jesus, we believe that you are the reincarnation of John the Baptist, that John the Baptist has risen from the dead and he's taken over your body. That you are really not you, but you are really John the Baptist. That is some messed up thinking there. But they, only, they also said that, hey, you're not really Jesus, but hey, you have the spirit of Elias or Elijah you're some, something else. You're someone else. They really don't know who you are, Jesus. Then the Lord Jesus asked him here in verse number uh, 15, he, he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Verse 17, and Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, 
and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want to stop right there. The Lord said, upon this rock, he's going to build his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He was not, of course, building the church upon Peter, but upon the revelation knowledge of who he was. How the Father revealed Christ to Peter. Uh, everyone else said that Jesus was someone else, somewhere else. But the Father showed Peter through the veil of Christ's flesh. And he saw through the veil of Jesus' flesh, and he saw Christ, the Son of the living God. And the Lord said, I'm going to build my church on that foundation on the revelation knowledge of who I am. In other words, the Lord's going to continue to reveal to his church who he is, who he is, not only as Savior and Lord, but there's so many more dimensions to Christ, and we'll see this. And so let me, let me bring to you the definition of the word church, because we would say, uh, what is the church? You know this, most of you know this, the word church is ecclesia, which means a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place, an assembly. Most widely, the definition is a called out group, a called out body. I want you to understand this. There are many of us in here right now, but if I were called out just a few people, if I said, uh, John, if I said Stan, if I said Nelson, and if I asked them to come up and stand here, then I have just made them a church. I've called them out from a group, and I've called them up front here. They would be a called out body. So Jesus said, upon this rock, upon the revelation knowledge of who I am, I'm going to call out a body. I'm going to call out an assembly, a group of people. Well, what is he calling us out from? We can say, yes, from the world sense, but there's also this. Let's look at 1 Peter, the second chapter, 1 Peter 2, verse 9. And it says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath, what? Called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the Lord calls his assembly, he calls his church out of darkness, as we see here in the text. He calls us out into light. And actually, that's not where it ends, because he actually sends us back into darkness to bring other people out, because we are then salt and light. But what has become of the church today? What has become, we can say, really, of the American church, of the American called-out bodies of, of believers. We're not speaking of all fellowships, of course. And a prayer, prayerfully, we're not speaking of most, but there are many. Let's talk today about of this Christian lifestyle, many things that are happening in our churches today. For the most part, when people come to church, when people, when believers come to church, or we can say when Christians come to church, they pretty much want a 30-minute message, preferably shorter, maybe shorter, 30-minute or shorter message. They want something that's going to make them feel good, and they want something that has a good social environment. Uh, true worship 
for most of our churches is on the menu, but it's just not at the top of the list. It's not a high priority, the true worship of God. Let me go on. Our serve, many, many of our services are, are not built around the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They're mainly, they're not, that is, they're not built around the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That is, um, many of them are not trying to create an atmosphere that is conducive for the moving of the Spirit. But, in fact, it's built around the comfort of the people to make the people happy. Uh, you'll hardly hear, and in services like that, you will hardly hear um, the true gospel preached because the gospel is confrontational and, and it, is, it is very convicting. So you won't or you, seldom, you will seldomly hear words like repent, uh, seldomly hear words like sin, hell, uh, death, demons, devils, damnation. You seldomly hear those words because the goal is to get people in, but don't offend. Get them in, but don't offend. Get them in, but don't offend them. Why is that? So they'll come back. So they'll join. So they'll give money. When they come back, they'll give money. We don't want to offend them. So, but, you know, before we point our hands or fingers at pastors and church leaders, I want you to really realize that um, church leadership is only the tip of the iceberg because the people call leaders in many cases that look like them. So the other half of that has got to be in the pew. Think about it for a moment. The least attended services in the modern day church are prayer meetings. Call a prayer meeting. Oh, you won't get a lot of people to sign up. And then other times it's the worship service. Um, you know, what's going to happen first worship? They're going to sing a few songs. And we, you know, we don't really have to worship God. We don't really have to raise our hands. We don't really have to do that. We just get there for the word portion. And many times right after the word, people leave. Why? Because they don't want to get involved with the giving portion of service. Don't really want to give. And I think some of you would agree with these things that I'm saying today. And for many, if the service is, if the sermon is too long, or if the music is too loud, or if it's not the right style of music, or if the leadership doesn't cater to the people or pander to the people just right, they won't come back. Because for many, in many places, church is not about hearing the word of God or connecting with the spirit. It's about making me feel good when I get there. And as long as I feel good, then it's going to be good. In many places, by and large, in the American church, uh, church attendance is on the decline. It's on the decline. And not only live services, of course, uh, talking about the pandemic, but even before that happened, church services were on the decline, church attendance was. And even now online, when people, they say, well, it's too loud, it's too long, this and that and the other, when you can stay at home and watch it at your own pace whenever you want to watch it, they still don't watch it. So it's amazing to me when they say, oh, that's not the right type of style of music that really doesn't do it for me. And now you had several weeks, months, some churches still not in services, but they don't find the right type of music that does it for them. They just don't do it at all. So in many places, it's about status. It's about title. It's about click. It's about who gets the glory more than about the worship of God for the saving 
of souls. And last, the phrase, let's have church, does not mean let us enter into the throne of God. It means let's have a good time. Let's make ourselves feel good. Preacher, tell me something that feels good. Um, singers, praise team, choir, sing something that makes me feel good. And when you leave, people can't tell you what they heard, but all they can say is, we had church. We had church. But is that what Jesus built? I tell you, my brothers and sisters, that really uh, the church is asleep and we've accepted something that is very carnal and something very fleshly. And that's not what Jesus built. The Lord tells us about the state of the church and the state of the world in the last days. Let's look at a few verses here in 2 Timothy, the third chapter, 2 Timothy, the third chapter, verse number five, one talks about here, it says here, 2 Timothy, third chapter, verse five, it says, they will act religious. King James says they will have a form of godliness. It says here in the New Living Translation, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. In other words, in the last days, they don't really want Christ. They don't, they don't really want quite Christ. They want Really, they want a religion without commitment. They may want to be involved, but they don't want to give Jesus their entire lives. And that's the problem where we're at today. Many people may not mind coming to the fellowship, but just don't ask me to commit to anything. And that's an issue. And that's where we are in the last days. It goes on here. He goes on 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy the fourth chapter, verses 3 through 4. It says, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. That time is now, people. They will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. And that's a problem. The church is asleep in a very, very dangerous time. Sleep. How do I know that we're asleep? Again, many, the only time we may pray is before we eat or when something goes bad. Are we hungering after God? Are we trying to cultivate a relationship with him? Are we hungry for his word? When you were born again, when you gave your heart and life to the Lord, the Father gave you or created you, you are a, a new created spirit. And he put in you everything that you needed. He put in you a hunger for him, a thirst for him. But here comes the devil, and he wants to bury that hunger and thirst under cares and worry and the concerns of life. And so all of that is buried within you. If I would ask you to take a temperature check of how you feel about Christ, how you feel about his word, or how is your prayer life? How is your hunger for God? Are you hungry for him? Are you hungry for his presence? If I would take a temperature check and tell you, well, measure that. 
If we would say, well, it's, it's, it's pretty low, that's not because you don't have it. It's just because it's buried, buried among, uh, under a lot of worries and cares and stress and anxiety. And the enemy is going to make sure, he's going to make sure that you're always too busy to pray, that you're always too busy to study his word. He's going to make sure that you always have something to do. Somebody saying something so that you don't get into the word of God, so that you don't seek the face of God, so that you don't get into his presence, because he knows that when you, child of God, when you, born again believer, seek after Father, he knows that his time in your life and his control over, over your life is limited and it is dwindling. When you awake and arise, he has to go. So he tries to keep you asleep, especially during a dangerous time. Let me tell you about one dangerous time here in Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verses uh, 36 through 44. We'll read this a little bit. This is before Jesus was about to be taken to be crucified. And some of you are familiar with this case, but we'll read it. Matthew 26, verse 36 says this, Then cometh Jesus uh, with them, uh, that is with his disciples, unto a place called, unto a place called what? That's right, Gethsemane. And said unto the disciples, sit ye here. Who is he talking to? The disciples. Come on, say, say disciples. He saith unto the disciples, sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. But look, look at 37. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that is James and John. And began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Now, notice here, the disciples were a called out body. He went through the community and he found chosen people, right? He found the disciples and he called them out from the community. So they were the church. But now he has the church and he calls out another group from the church to go further with him. This isn't the first time that the Lord has done this. He's done this also in what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. When he leads the disciples there in the valley, and of course that demon-possessed boy was there, but he calls up with him, Peter, James, and John, to go up into the mountain with him. He calls out a body, a church, from the church to see his glory. And of course, you know, the Lord calls that leader of the synagogue, and he tells him, uh, we're going to go to your house. And when they get to the house to pray for the young girl, the young girl was, uh, was dead, Jesus takes with him Peter, James, and John once again up to the upper room. He tells, leaves the other disciples and the rest of the people outside. He leaves them outside, so he takes again a church from the church. And he tells that church that has been taken from the church, he takes them to a special place where they may see special signs and wonders. And this is the thing that you'll, that you'll find out here in the last days. The Lord will call a church out of the church. He will endue them with special power and ability because they have not, not saying that the Lord loves them more than the others, but they have a heart to hunger after him. You'll see this also in the temple, the temple of God, where there were three, uh, three areas. There was the out of court or the court of the Gentiles. Everybody, that was the biggest place where everybody would come to worship. Then there was the inner court. That was the place where they had the, uh, the showbread and the, and the lampstand. That was there. It was a 
whole lot smaller place, but then there was a, an even smaller place. That was the, that was the uh, holies, Holy of Holies. That's where the high priest would go. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. So you get to decide, and please hear this, child of God, for those of you that are listening, those of you that are listening online and, and watching, God is now calling a church out of the church. He's calling out those that have a hunger and a thirst for him. He's calling out those and he will allow them to see things that the others will not see. He will allow them to experience things that the others will not experience. If you would ask the, the average church goer, uh, just a little bit of basic Bible knowledge, many would not have it because they've been going to church for years, but have not contained the word. You'll find some of the most illiterate Christians sometimes sitting in church. And it is from the church that the Lord calls a church forth. He calls a body out of the body. And it is these that God will raise up in the last days to do spectacular things. So here we are back here in Matthew 26. Matthew 26, we see that um, the Lord takes again the disciples and he calls out Peter, James, and John to come with him. And the Bible says that they, that Jesus in verse 37, he says, and and he took with him Peter and the, son, and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Verse 38 says, Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. So they see a side of Jesus that the others did not see. They saw him sorrowful and very heavy. So verse 39 says, and he went a little, fur a little uh, further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Very important because what Jesus was about to go through uh, was so traumatic that even, even though he was all God, he was still all man, and he himself having a will. His will must have been sacrificed first before the body, because Jesus knew what was about to happen. It wasn't so much, and I'm sure he was thinking about the pain of the cross and the agony of the thorns and the, and the nails, but the thing I believe that was most on his mind was that he was about to be separated from the Father, because on the cross, the Lord Jesus said, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? The son that has always been with the father from the very beginning, from throughout all eternity, was now about to face a moment that the love of the father would not be present so that he could take on our sins. Jesus was about to be forsaken so that you and I would never be forsaken. And so his soul cried out, his soul cried out, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Verse 40, and he cometh unto the, unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. The church was asleep and saith unto Peter, what could, uh, what could, he says, I'm sorry, what could ye not watch with me one hour? Look at verse 41. He says, pray, rather watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We're going to get back to that in verse 42. 
And he went away the second, he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he, and he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he, but this time he did not wake them up. Verse 44, and he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And we'll stop there. Understand something. This was a crushing of the soul. This is the moment that you'll discover that at least at this moment that Jesus had a will. And of course, you see, it's all the father's will. It was within Christ that he did not want to go through this. But he also understood the father's will, that it was the father's will for him to do it. So at this moment, the Lord yielded to what the father wanted. And as Jesus is our complete and perfect example, we'll understand that we will also have traumatic moments like this as well. When you will want to do something, but you'll know that that is not the father's will. You'll have to bow before him, whether it's as simple as apologizing to someone or saying something or doing something or proclaiming a message in front of in front of people, some that won't want to hear it. You'll have a moment as well when you will have to say you will have to do something that will be against your will. And there'll be, that's a moment that's a crucifying moment. But in that moment, if you do, as the father instructs, there's glory waiting on the other side. Now, notice also in verse 41, as we're closing today, verse 41 says again, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. One thing that we're failing to do is watch and pray. The Lord says you must watch and pray. Why? Because the hour of temptation is at hand. The devil's trying his best to tempt you, to test you, to try you, to defeat you around every single corner. And he will if you do not watch and pray. You must be shaken from your slumber, shaken from your sleep, and realize that if our desire for Christ is, if it is dull, if our relationship with him is lifeless, I don't want you to feel condemned, but I want you to feel that that is not good, that that is something that must be repented of. That's something that we need to cry out for. God, restore my hunger for you. Restore my thirst for you. We should not receive that as normal. If you, the child of God, can go and spend two hours and 30 minutes in a movie, two hours in a movie, but cannot spend 15 minutes in church, 30 minutes in church, hearing the word of God, then something is wrong. If we would rather spend hours on Facebook, but rather not spend five minutes in his book, something is wrong. Something is wrong. We're asleep. And the enemy wants you to stay asleep so that you will not have the power, so that you will not uh, exhort the power or release the power over him. Yes, the power of Christ is within you, 
But if we're so covered over with the cares of this life, I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to do this, I got to do that, that we program God out of our lives, we schedule him out of our lives, well, that's what the devil wants. The enemy doesn't mind so much you coming to church. He does not want the church to be in you. He does not mind you so much praying or having somebody else pray for you. But when you start praying and seeking God on a regular basis, that's when he has a problem. Jesus warns us here. He says, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. We need to be awakened. We need to be awakened. In other words, the tempter is coming when you are asleep. Hear this word prophetically. The tempter is coming when you are asleep. The enemy comes when you sleep. You must be ready. I'm not just talking about a natural sleep. But sleep is when you are inactive in the things of God. You're inactive. The enemy comes and he plays and he does horrible, terrible things when we do not, when we're not watchful, when we're not praying. Remember, one of the worst ways the enemy can get to you is not necessarily to you, but to your children, to your family, to those around you. If you're the only one that carries the light of God in your family, then if you sleep, he will be able to do whatever he wants. There's nothing stopping him from taking over. Jesus says, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. He also gives them a parable here in Matthew, 4, Matthew 13. Matthew 13 to that end. Matthew 13, look at verse 24 and verse 25. The Lord says, another parable put he forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. While you slept, when you refused to get up and pray, when you refused to get in your Bible because you had other things to do, when we refuse to do that, the enemy is active doing something. He is active doing something. We must be shaken we must be awakened. And let me last say this here in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. This is what the Lord says here in verse number 14. He says, wherefore he saith, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. You got to wake up. You got to wake up. If you saw a baby, if you saw a baby that never cried and never got hungry, you would say something's wrong. Something's wrong. But by the same token, if you see a Christian believer that never has a desire to pray, that never has a desire to get in God's word, we accept it as normal. But I'm telling you, something is bad wrong with that. It's bad wrong with that. When it's you, you hold the power through Christ Jesus to affect change in our community and in our world. 
But again, it's the enemy's, enemy's desire to keep you so busy, so entertained, so focused on other things that when it comes time to pray, you're too tired. So busy, so busy with work. When it comes time to pray, I got to go to work. Anything but talk to God. Anything but talk to him. Anything but get in his word. I can hear the devil say now, do demons do whatever you got to do. But don't let them pray. Don't let them get in the word. Keep them asleep. The enemy can also use uh, what we call many times blessings. He can also use give, give you some money. I mean, giving you a lot of money, giving you great opportunities can also distract you. Now you got all this money. It seems like you got much time to pray. Oh, but no, there's no time now for that either. Or maybe taking away money. Oh, now I don't have money, but now we're so consumed with worries how I'm going to get it. Oh, but there's still no time to pray. Your answer is in prayer. Your answer is in repentance. Your answer is in seeking God's face. We've got to consider a prayerless life as a life of sin. I'm not telling you God's about to strike you down because you don't pray. Hear me. I'm not trying to tell you either that God doesn't like you because you don't pray. I'm not saying that at all. He loves you. He loves you and has already accepted you. He's already looked beyond your faults and has seen your needs. And he desires you. He adores you. God adores you. He loves you. But I'm saying this life for you will be very rocky and be very hard if you refuse to stand on your watch and pray and seek the face of God. Don't let prayerlessness be a thing for you. Hear me, child of God. Don't let a lack of hunger be a thing for you. Cry out to God. Ask him to unearth or dig out, dig out your desire for him. The things that the devil has done to press on you and all the tra trauma that you've been through have covered all that over because you are really a spiritual powerhouse. You are really powerful and amazing to God. You really are. And the enemy knows that you are also highly anointed but he wants to keep you drugged up, keep you silent. Because he knows if you awaken, if you ever are shaken and you are awakened, he knows that his time is up and that he'll have to go. So he wants to keep you drugged up, drugged up with entertainment, drugged up with music and, and news. He wants to keep you drugged up on, on gossip, drugged up on worries, drugged up on cares. He wants to keep you intoxicated, intoxicated with worry and, and cares and frustrations and circumstances. Keep them intoxicated. Keep them controllable. Because when you wake up, when you shake yourself, you realize, he'll realize that you are uncontrollable. And the things that you and father would do or I'm telling you, are incredible. So I pray today that you will challenge that and that you will wake up and that you will be the church, a part of the church that Jesus is calling out of the church in these last days. That's going to shake the world. Father, I thank you for giving us this opportunity to bring forth your word. Father, 
I release your word today by faith. Lord, I, I pray with all of my heart, with all of my heart, that your word is sown into good ground and that it will bring forth. Lord, I declare that, that your word be like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces, breaks up a hard heart. I pray it be like a fire that it will devour everything of the enemy and only leave that thing that is good and pure and right. Father, I pray that you raise up this generation of believers. Let revival come forth. And I pray that we will find a place of repentance before your throne. Lord God, we love you so much. And we thank you for all that you're doing for us. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I pray today that you were that you were blessed by God's rich word and that you would take that to heart. And this week, that you would challenge a prayerless life. In any area of your life where you feel that, that you have fallen or that is not well, challenge it. Challenge it. Because there's so much power that awaits you in that area. Don't let offense get in your way. Don't be offended. But let the power of God come in. Offense is a wall that prevents you from receiving. Let the power of the Lord come in and, and release any offenses that you may have. In Jesus' mighty name, any, any offenses. So, Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name. Well, we pray that you were blessed and encouraged by today's message. Don't forget, you can connect with us at our website at kingdomrock.org. It's there that you can hear today's message as well as the entire series. So check it out today. Until next time, remember that Jesus loves you and so do we. Choose him as your Lord today. Only he can make a way. We'll see you on the next time.